Well, hello there and welcome to another episode of Spam, Spam, Spam Humbug. This is episode 155 of the podcast and we are again reaching into the archives. Still been crazy busy, still haven't had time to do any live recordings or actually, unfortunately, any more readings of Through the Moongate, but really trying to keep to that two-week publishing schedule. So with that in mind, reached back into the Wayback and pulled out one other interview that I did. This was around seven years ago. And it's with Derek Brinkman and Tim Cotton, who were sort of the two masterminds behind Citadel Studios back when they were developing Shards Online. Although I don't believe it was called Shards Online at the time. That's what we know it as now. It's another MMORPG, crowdfunded in the vein of Ultima Online. Both of them, of course, had significant experience working on Ultima Online back in the day. And this was an interview that they graciously agreed to do with the Ultima Codex. It's a shorter interview, a little bit over half an hour long, but interesting to go back and look at what they had to say about where they wanted to go with the game, compare it to where it is at now. The only other thing I will say is that I apologize. I have not found time in the intervening years to finish transcribing this episode. There is a partial transcript on the Ultima Codex, and there will be a link in the show notes, but I haven't actually finished the transcript yet. I should really go back and do that. As always, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by our Patreon backers. Thank you to everyone who supports us and the Ultima Codex by that means. And as always, a hearty thank you to our co-producers, Seth, Goldenflame, Dominic, Violation, Hellgriff, Gronk, Pascal, and Thorwan. So without further ado, let's step back in time and hear from Derek and Tim. We are live, and we have with us Derek Brinkman and Tim Cotton, both of Citadel Studios. Um, Hi, gentlemen. Hey, everybody. <laughs> so they're here to talk to us today, primarily about Shard Online. Um, and uh, yeah, so welcome to both. Hi, both. Derek, Tim. Thank you. Hey there. For, for, for being to this today. Hey there. So I guess where to start? I mean, we've uh, shards is coming into its final week. There's I think nine, ten days left in the campaign, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we're actually ending on a Friday uh, evening. So uh, okay. the, the campaign ends on Friday night, and we're going to do like a two-hour stream to wrap up the campaign right at the end. So I kind of calculated the time as to which the campaign ended because I want to end on a Friday. <laughs> nice. Um, and obviously the campaign has succeeded this time. You've hit the goal, 50,000, and you've exceeded that, I think. Last I checked, you were at uh, 75K? Yeah, that's right. We've exceeded it. <laughs> Actually, um, you know, we see our stretch goals as just as important as the initial goal. Uh, and so we didn't kind of like slow down or relax when we hit our 50K. Uh, you know, we're working just as hard now as we ever were to kind of hit all those stretch goals. Uh, the more stretch goals we hit, the better the game's going to be when we get to Alpha in the spring. I'm uh, I'm honestly hoping that you hit the 90k mark because I want to check out that story editor. That's always been my uh, my favorite thing and my downfall is you know when I find a game that has a really good editing to it. Well, yeah, yeah it's uh, that's one of the strongest features of even the Ultima series. You know, just uh, even from the old days. 
Uh, I remember I got online uh, in the very, uh, I don't know, the pioneer wagon days of the internet, and they had an Ultima 6 editor where you could edit the world, the stories, and everything. That was amazing, man. That, that kind of tool really set me on a path to want to be a game designer. Yeah, there's two or three of those, and they're all fun to play with. Ultima 6 is my favorite, so... <laughs> I've, uh, I've missed, I think, probably with all of those that, that uh, you would have encountered. And yeah, there's some great stuff there. Looks like Tim dropped for a second. He'll probably Oh, no, back. we lost Tim. Come <laughs> back, Tim. Give Tim a minute. Yeah, you can ask me a question while we're waiting for him if you want. Yeah, sure. Um, okay, so you are building shards with the Unity engine. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and actually, well, you know what, here, let's, because, I mean, the big feature, of course, or one of the big features with the shards is its modability. You know, you want to give players maximum power. There's Tim. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm There's sorry, I got disconnected somehow. No worries. It no happens. Worries. It happens. What were we saying about technology? That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I got cut off in the middle or anything. No worries. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. So, um, I mean... We were just talking about, uh, or I was just kind of launching into a question about the, uh, you know, the fact that shards is being built for modability, right? It's being mm -hmm. built for players to uh, run their own shards and stories, set up their own worlds. So, can you give us some details about um, about a few different aspects? I mean. What is the uh, what is the scripting language, for example, that would be used? Okay. What is the uh, you know if a player wanted to import models, what would they need? Right. Well, I can answer that one. So um, we're we're attacking the customizability of the game in multiple levels. Um, so our first approach is towards the um, the gameplay simulation side of it, and what that means is you can kind of change you working with the assets that we provided uh, on the client side. So you have the set of monsters and animations and particle effects and everything that comes with the game. Um, but we allow you to change the rules of the game. We allow you to kind of customize the characters, create your own characters, create your own stories. And all that is done with a combination of a couple of tools that we'll be providing and our Lua scripting engine on the back end. And so essentially everything can be done in Lua in the, the scripting engine. Our entire gameplay engine is written, all, almost all of the gameplay code is written in Lua. And so that allows you to change just about anything with our Lua scripting engine, uh, which makes it extremely powerful. But there are some people out there that still want to get into customizing the game without having the ability to mod, with, to actually be able to script. And so we're creating some tools that are built on top of the Lua engine that allow you to kind of do some of the stuff in like a WYSIWYG, what you see is what you get type editor. Um, and so there's a couple of examples of those tools that will come right with Alpha 1. And that's the, um, the template editor that allows you to attach behaviors to objects. It allows you to change some basic properties, their name, their color, things like that. Um, and then you also have your world object editor. And that allows you to place objects down in the world that are dynamic, that are objects that you can interact with. Um, and so in Ultima Online, they were called server berths. Remember, they had server berth rares, which were objects that the, the designers forgot to lock down so someone could just come <laughs> by and pick them up. 
And so our world objects are just like those, where they're the objects that are kind of placed around the world that are meant for when the game comes up. Um, and it's more than the objects you can see. There's also invisible objects, uh, and their purpose is to act as a controller for certain systems. So an example, a simple example is a spawner. Right, you can place down a spawner object, which only gods can see. It's an invisible object for players. But that object is in control of spawning a certain monster or some group of monsters in an area. And so when you combine that world object editor tool with the template editor tool, you can create lots and lots of different uh, kind of scenarios and um, modifications without ever even touching Lua. And you had mentioned our, our $90,000 goal. That will give us a story editor on top of it. And so it's a kind of an extension to the, the template editor that allows you to assign some really dynamic properties to uh, characters, which is uh, branching dialogues where you can kind of change what the, the character says based on what a player says to them. Um, and also kind of that like, you know, task reward style thing where they can send you on a, a variety of different tasks and give you something in return for completing it. Um, and so those are the two core goals for the story editor. But that's just phase one. When we get into like phase two and phase three, you start talking about custom assets. Now that's being able to create your own maps. That's being able to create your own characters, create your uh, your own models, um, import your own objects, animations, effects. All of that is coming later. Um, and still, even before we hit beta, a good deal of the custom asset stuff will be available. But right now we're very focused on that first alpha one build. And that's where we'll be focusing on the rules, the story, and the content. Yeah, I'll jump in as well. Um, one important thing to understand about the project is uh, it's it's not middleware. You know, we're not trying to create a game engine. We're trying to create a game itself, a full game, a full wonderful game with its own plot, its own characters, its own stories, its own assets, its own behaviors. And then we're saying, here, community, here are tools. You can change it. You can copy it. You can do whatever you want with it, and it, it, it's like an onion. You just peel back the complexity. Uh, at the very surface, like Derek said, there are very simple tools, or you can dive in and you can actually learn the real scripting language that runs the entire thing. Yeah, the idea actually came out of, um, you know, we really enjoyed the freedom that designers had on Ultima Online to create content for Ultima Online. Uh, there were times where the Ultima Online team hired somebody with no knowledge of scripting whatsoever and taught them how to create content in Ultima Online, and they were able to do it with no knowledge. And a lot of them actually picked up scripting language uh, skills in order to be able to create this stuff, but they were able to do it relatively fast. And it's because it's just a very powerful way to approach game design. And so yep. we said, that's great. Let's give that power to the players. Exactly. And this time we've chosen Lua as a language. It's popular. It's well understood. The resources for game uh development are vast and for it. So it'll be a natural transition to anyone who's done mods for many other um, games as well. Yeah, and it's a forgiving language, which is nice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> cool. Well, that's, um, I mean, you know, like, those are all, how to put this, it, I'm not an MMO guy. I don't come from the MO side of the ultimate fandom by, by any stretch. But there's definitely a huge appeal there, you know, because, I mean, it sounds like, especially if the story editor gets reached as a player, Right, right. Like you you mentioned like you were very interested in that. When you, yeah. think about, when you think about what Ultima was, I mean, 
what, you had NPCs. You could walk up in Ultima 6. You could literally say, hi, hello, name, job, and you'd actually get a bunch of keyword responses. You could type your own conversation to these people and get real responses, right? We, we want to provide that same kind of idea, and we want to allow you to customize it, whether you're doing keywords or whether you're going to do like a, a pick-a-choice pick a branching conversation. You know, we're creating those tools so that you can have that kind of uh, Ultima experience to um, in-depth characters. Yeah, and I mean, I'm almost thinking that, you know, if I set up my own shard, I could basically, you know, have a VM world running inside it, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that's really interesting is giving the players the ability to either make a server private or set the uh, player limit on a server. Um, you know, it's flexible enough to where you could, if you have enough resources, actually run many shards, connect them all together, and support, you know, maybe even over a thousand players on your server. Uh, but then it's also it's also able to be scaled back to the point where you could run a single shard, um, you know, put a, a low player limit on it. Maybe you just want to have it for you and your friends, and you're going to run some campaigns, some like kind of live event DMing style stuff where you want to bring them through some kind of role-playing campaign. That's completely doable with the system as well. Um, and, you know, and you get a great game to start, so you already have characters to work with. You can... Um, you know, just like people who do D&D &D, uh, pen, pen and paper, they often start with a world and they create their own stories in that world. And so we're kind of providing that same, um, you know, starting point for them. It's already there. Everything's there. You can just add to it. Yeah, I mean, well, you also call out Neverwinter Nights in the, uh, on the campaign page, and that's exactly how that game works. Right. So you, just, you built yourself a little world in and around the assets from that, and... Uh, yeah, got a bunch of your buddies together and DM'd a game for them. <laughs> yeah, it's really surprising that the larger game companies haven't attempted something like this uh, yet. And uh, I mean, I kind of understand that it's a scary concept to them to give that much power to players. Uh, but when you look back, I mean, Neverwinter Nights was a hugely successful game. And so, uh, you know, it's just surprising that, that somebody else hasn't tried the, that same formula. Yeah, well, I mean... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just a <laughs> maybe it's I don't know if it's more complex to support. I could certainly see that, but uh, but anyways, um, you mentioned something there, and I had a question around it, and it slipped out of my head. So I'm gonna see if I can remember that and come back to it. Uh, okay. <clears throat> but uh, in the meantime, um, uh, someone had a really good question. What was that? <laughs> Uh, sorry, I, I collect questions from a few different people when I set up interviews like this. And, uh, yeah. One, one thing I am curious about, um, you do have a bit of a relationship with uh, Rob Denton and the team at Broadsword, don't you? Mm -hmm. um, can you... Can you can you discuss that at all? Like, uh, yeah, sure, I can talk about any involvement. With I was gonna say they, we, we used to work start? with all those people. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the old UO team, right? So it's actually many of the people that are still on Ultima Online. Over the years, Ultima Online has had a lot of like comings and goings of people. Obviously, so many people have worked on that project over the years. But the team that's working on it now actually has a lot of the same members that uh, were there when we were working on it. And so we are very close relationships with them, and also Rob Denton. Um, you know, we go out to lunch with him fairly regularly and just discuss kind of the direction that we're taking with the company and the product. And he's a great resource for us because he's kind of been there. He's done it, you know.
I don't know if you wanted to expand on that, Tim. I think it's pretty much he's just a great guy to kind of bounce ideas off of. And, and I was, was going to say it's um, it's great to have your former boss, the guy who owned your studio, be willing to sit down at lunch, treat you, and talk about the realities of running a company, uh, pushing out real content, and uh, pulling people and resources together. I, I think it's been an absolutely wonderful experience. Um, and it's it's always a pleasure, you know, whenever we get a chance just to even just stop by and say hi to the UO team. I mean, I think Derek and I both have a great and abiding love for everything that is Ultima and Ultima Online. And, uh, you know, Shards is essentially tribute to that kind of game. That's what we want to pull off. So uh, all of their support is just absolutely just great. Yeah, it was maybe six or seven, maybe even more than that, seven or so years ago that the last time before we started working on this last time, me, Rob Denton, and Tim were in a room together was when he had convinced us to move to Virginia to continue to work on UO when they moved the That's project. True. That's true. I remember that. Uh, they flew us out here. They uh, they got us some uh, some good food, and somehow they managed to convince us, and uh, next thing we knew, we were driving across the country. It was an offer we couldn't refuse. Yeah, that's, that, there you go. Probably a Texas Day Brazil meal too much. <laughs> Hey, Kenneth, I think your audio cut out for a second. We're losing you. There you go. There you go. It's back. Well, let's pick away at that little bit of history for a minute then, because I'm curious, actually, as to um, you know, how you both got started in the gaming industry and then you know, also in particular with Ultima Online. Right? You know, where did that association Sure, sure. Jeff, why don't you start? And I'll, I'll yeah. jump in after. Let's see. My I started in the game industry way back. Uh, I was an intern for uh, Tiburon, their studio, the EA studio that makes Madden. And uh, so I was working on Madden 2004 way back and, and uh, had a lot of fun there at Tiburon. And there was a time where I was just kind of like moving every couple of years. So I was exploring my options and heading out to different EA studios. And one of the teams that was hiring was the Ultima Online team uh, in Redwood Shores. And so... I sat down with a bunch of people there. Um, I think, Tim, you might have been one of the people I was interviewed by. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And so, uh, and I just, <laughs> I felt at home instantly. Um, it was just kind of like, I always kind of had this great reverence for Ultima Online being the grandfather of MMOs. And so there, I had a couple of offers for different um, jobs, different EA studios. And that was just, it was a no brainer. I didn't really have to think about it. And so when I ended up out there, Tim and I became, you know, very close, not only coworkers but friends, really quickly. And so things kind of blossomed from there. Tim could talk about how he got started. Oh, sure. So my story goes back to being a, a freshman in high school when UO was actually just announcing itself. Um, I put in my money. I got a, a black and white beta CD, and there we went. Right. I. I was a little fan groupie. I emailed uh, Raf Koster, design, Designer Dragon, all the time. I was like, hey, I've got this cool idea. Hey, I've got this cool – he was very nice to a child. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it certainly set me in motion to want to do something with games, uh, you know, and I, I didn't know what that would be. So I, I, I went through life. I went to college. I started studying computer programming. I started doing all of these things. And then one day, um, you know, I'm playing UO, and I had uh, actually um, – uh, joined the Stratix crew at uh, at Stratix, and we went to E3 that year, and I, I interviewed a bunch of people, and it was a great experience, and I actually had this strange and very serendipitous encounter with um, a video game pianist. Uh, his name is Martin Loom, I believe, 
and um, he was playing all these great, great compositions, all of these cool themes on the piano for games. It was really cool at the time. You know, this is like pre-YouTube or early YouTube days. And um, the media company that was hosting him forgot to bring a camera. So they traded me footage for their entire library of game design books because they were a publisher. <laughs> so I got, I, they literally sent me, I don't know, like $1,000 worth of design, game design and programming books in the mail. I studied the heck out of those things. And then one day, the community manager of UO put up a job posting on Stratix, and I said, hey, I'd like to apply for that. Flew into Redwood City, managed to somehow convince them that I like to uh, play UO and could uh, <laughs> use my programming skills for great good and uh, join the team. And sure enough, Derek came on the team afterwards, and he and uh, several other guys, we all just hung out. We became great friends. We even, uh, I think we rented a, yeah, we rented a house together. We, we just had the, the UO frat house eventually. We actually so, uh, called it the UO frat house. It was hilarious and awesome. It was just a great time to be young and alive and a game designer. For sure. And also, you know, shortly after that, when we moved to Virginia to continue to work on UO, that was when Tim and I were the kind of co-leads on the Stygian Abyss expansion. Yep, And I'd say, exactly. you know, of all the times uh, in my game industry in these last 10 or 11 years, maybe more now, geez, um, I'd say that, you know, that, that expansion was the most fun I've ever had. We just, Dope. him and I just really kind of synced up and we just had a blast. With that well, we got to do, we got to let our imaginations go because we not only did we have all the experience of working on it before, suddenly we were in a position where we could build what really we hoped the players wanted to see. And we, we feel that we delivered something really fun. I think so. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, again, not really being a, an MMO sort myself, um, yeah. I was happy to see some of the stuff that came out of the Stygian Abyss expansion just because um, you know, it seemed to sort of also take a few steps uh, back towards what, uh, what I would maybe consider the traditional Ultima lore. Uh -huh. um, you know, you, I mean, Absolutely. You, nailed the re you nailed the recreation of the first level of the Abyss from Underworld. Yeah. Hey, thank you, thank you. Yeah, we actually, I think I, I, I remember writing an edit, uh, like an actual um, um, map ripper to pull that out of the underworld binary I had, and then we converted it to a tile system for UO. That was a fun level. That was pretty cool, yeah. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was, uh, I, I still like looking at that map. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember there was a thread on Stratix uh, years after Sigin Abyss came out, and it was just talking about what people's favorite expansions on Ultima Online were. And I, it just brought a smile to my face to see the Stygian Abyss expansion come up a couple times in that thread. Obviously, everybody has their favorite. It wasn't the, the you know, but I mean, just to see that people thought that T2A. That was, <clears throat> <laughs> just to see that people thought that that expansion was the, one of the best expansions for Ultima Online really kind of put a smile on my face. It's just so good to see that appreciation. <laughs> yeah, I can see being, that'd be very edifying. Oh man, I was I was just glad it uh, <laughs> it didn't have the uh, uh, the uh, what would you call it the bad rep of a couple of other expansions. That's that's how I felt. I uh, I'll never forget the, the day expansions that, we, that shall not be named. <laughs> I'll never forget the day that we actually launched Stygian Abyss when we actually turned the servers on with the Stygian Abyss expansion enabled on them. What a just nerve wracking day it was. And for as far as expansion pack launches go, I'd say it went fairly smoothly. <laughs> It went fairly smoothly. There were some bugs. There were some good ones, like jumping into the slime pit and getting tons and tons of uh, reputation by one-hit wonders. And I was uh, didn't think that one through, but uh, we worked that out. Mm -hmm. Servers didn't crash. That was a good thing. 
Yeah, it was good. Nice. Actually, servers, you mentioned that, and that was the question. Mm -hmm. That reminded me of the question I was going to ask before that I forgot. Um, with shards, uh, I mean, obviously, players can run their own shards. You know, you mentioned they can run a collection of shards. Now, um, this is where my, my understanding starts, so I'm going to ask. Um, is that all run on your server infrastructure, or, you know, like if I have a, a, an old Dell server at home, can I run shards off of that? Oh, well, you know, uh, Derek will jump into this in real detail, but the quick answer is it's kind of like Minecraft in the sense that if you want to run a shard on your Dell, on your internet connection at home, go for it. If you want to run a huge cluster with multiple shards, that's where our infrastructure comes into play mm -hmm. and hands off to Derek. Right, yeah, so the, the challenge going into saying, okay, we're going to create a player MMO is how do you simplify MMO architecture to the point where a player can do it? Right. I mean, if you look at, like, um, you know, I've seen the, the architecture of games like Ultima Online, uh, War, Age of Reckoning, uh, it's extremely complex to create an MMO. Um, and so I sat down for a very long time, put my heads together with a whole bunch of people, like Mike Moore, one of the um, guys, tech guys from Ultima Online, and we figured out what we need to do is put all the complicated complex, interconnected stuff all behind a wall that we take care of for you. And so we put this magical name on it. We call it the cluster. Um, and so when we say cluster, really all that is is like it's more like a server in a traditional concept of like when you go to World of Warcraft and you see a server list, each item on there is in our world a cluster. And so we handle all that complex interconnected madness. And what you do is you run the shards, okay? And a shard is a single zone. We call it a game world. Um, they're almost like, a lot of them are like these like floating islands, like out in the void, right? And so they're relatively small when you compare them to like the size of a massive landmass in a big game. And the reasoning for that is because it has to run on just about anything. And so we've had a lot of questions about that. We've talked about expanding it and, and making it um, go a little bit bigger as we get further along. But we're starting out with something relatively modest in size. I think, you know, our first shard, it takes about five minutes to walk from one side to the other. Um, and but so what you do is you take a whole lot of these things and connect them together uh, by connecting them into our cluster technology um, and you create a server. And so the cluster is kind of in charge of the rules to enforce kind of a set of fairness across all of these uh, shards that are connected into it. And those can be running however you want them to run. Um, I'd imagine, you know, more reputable, more popular servers are going to run these things on, you know, actual cloud hardware. There's a lot of companies out there that do this for you, you know, a game server.net or whatever, um, that will host servers for you. And so you'll probably, you know, get those and hook them into our uh, cluster technology, and now you'll have this kind of one big MMO server that could support lots and lots of players. All right, follow-up to that. Um, I'm assuming that, if, that even if I'm, like, running a shard locally off of, you know, a server I have, Mm -hmm. <coughs> um, it would still require a persistent connection back to your infrastructure um, for the game to run overall. Yes, yes, exactly. And so um, what we do is we take care of the character data for you. Um, and so the reasoning for that is if your server, you know, you have it on a cloud, you're not super familiar with cloud instances and the thing just disappears one day, you didn't lose all your players' data. We're holding on to that for you, and so you can just spin up your shard on another piece of hardware 
and it'll just populate itself like the way it was. Um, and so that's one thing that a lot of people who are thinking about running servers are worried about. You know, what if my hard drive crashes on my computer here at home? Or what if, you know, I just make a mistake and I lose everything? Well, we're going to keep it for you uh, to make sure that we have kind of a little bit of a consistency in the sense of people's data won't just be magically disappearing. Awesome. Um, moving a little bit past tech now, uh, one of the things that I find really appealing about shards um, is the art style. I, I love the art style. It, uh, it's not quite, you know, it's not quite wow-like, um, but it's not, you know, sort of the, the hyper-realism that something like um, Shroud of the Avatar is more going for, right? Like, they're not really stylizing their assets in way. Honestly, actually, every time I see a shard screenshot, it reminds me of Reckoning, an RPG that came out a couple of years ago. Um, can you comment a little bit on that? Like, what led to the decision? What were the decisions that led up to that particular art style? Why was it chosen? Um, sure. Um, I think one of the I think one of the main things to understand is that we don't necessarily want to just uh, imitate or clone other games and then release it to the players. We are trying to strive for something that is unique and ours, something that is, you know, we can proudly point out and say, hey, this is Shards Online. Now, do with it what you will. Um, one of the great things about the art direction um, has been it's not too cartoony, and like you said, it's not too realistic. You get bogged down either way, and we have such varying um, genres that are available in Shards Online, running from high fantasy to steampunk to kind of an eldritch horror Cthulhu kind of deal, that we need kind of the ability to express colors brightly and very darkly. So what you see is, sure, the textures are not quite wow, not quite like super Disney or too cartoony, but enough of a, a palette that you can, you know, have um, lower, more accessible polys being rendered so that it can play on more machines, um, so that you can um, essentially just build uh, the gamut of whether it's dark and horrible or whether it's light and fantastical. Personally, for me, I, 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 I'm not a huge fan of the hyper-realistic graphics. Um, I enjoy it sometimes, like Skyrim and stuff. I like those sorts of games. But I also, when I'm playing in a fantasy or a, a role-playing setting, I want to be in a world that I feel like I want to be in. I want it to feel colorful and alive. And so right. that's kind of what we went for. When we said, okay, we're setting the art direction for this game, we said the two most important things is that the world is colorful and the world is alive. And then everything else kind of came from that initial core requirement. Exactly. We're trying to avoid that uncanny valley you get when you go for the hyper-realism and we're we're saying that it's a very highly configurable and scriptable and changeable world, but we're not trying to be second life either. You know, we don't want to. We don't want um, such control over um, hyper realistic faces that it just looks strange. We we have a style. For sure. Well, that's good. Um, actually, you know, mentioning Second Life and then um, some of the other MMOs that are out there. Uh, if you, I mean. You know, UO talk about it as being, you know, the grandfather of MMOs, which it is. Um, but how there's, there have not been too many other MMOs like it. I mean, EverQuest well, sure. came to ascendancy, sure. WoW kind of uh, refined and perfected the model. So, you know... Um, well, there's a, there, that's, uh, that's, you know, kind of history. When you, when you think about virtual worlds in general... 
you had MUDs first, really. You had you, well, you had pen and paper first, and then you got to MUDs. So suddenly you have these vast text-based worlds where anything can be described. Uh, almost any command can be created. You've got things just like shards where you can have your admins. You can promote them from within. They can become gods or dragons or any kind of being. So that's what Ultima Online really was. That was, that was kind of the vision, was taking that MUD flexibility and turning it into a graphical tile-based um, MMO in the Ultima universe. And it, it was not originally intended really to have 50,000, 100,000, 150,000 subscribers. Really, the game, <laughs> when you look at how the, everything was laid out with the little apartments laid outside of towns and some of the original design concepts, it, it, they didn't expect it to be as uh, successful uh, in like the number of people as it was, but they discovered that you add graphics to that formula, you add something that's stylized and fun and uh, highly interactive, uh, it, it'll support a lot of people. A lot of people are going to want to play it. And EverQuest came out and kind of shifted the goal away from um, the sandbox kind of game like UO to the quest-driven game, and then WoW just nailed it out of the park. You know, they came out with uh, 2,000 quests from the get-go. They had a huge amount of content so that entire method of creating games just followed along what was safe and provable to the investors. Whereas Eve came out and said, hey, look, Sandbox, sandbox works in space. Who knew? <laughs> yeah, uh, World of Warcraft was both the best thing for the MMO industry and the worst thing for the MMO industry at the same time. Uh, you know, it kind of made it the norm for... I, I talk about this a lot, where you talk about the, um, the designers serving the world or the world serving the designers. And the, the concept there is that, you know, in World of Warcraft, the world serves the designers in the sense that the designers have a very specific uh, set of experiences that they want the players to go through. What they do is they prop the world up in a very specific way to make you feel that, that specific experience. And so that design style kind of almost was born, like, like, like Tim said, EverQuest started it a little bit, and then WoW just took it and just ran with it. And then it was so successful that everybody following it said, oh, we have to do this style. And so that, like, simulated world where the world comes first, the designers create content that fits in a world that's already there and living and breathing, that style of game design for online games almost died. Um, and it's just nearly hard, impossible to find games that, uh, that were able to pull that off, you know, in the post-WoW era, so to speak. Yeah, so it's an ambitious undertaking on your part then, but it's nice to see. Um, yeah, and but it's for our core experience, right? That Those are the kind of games that we've worked on and the kind of games we love. So I guess you could think of it as, yeah, sure, maybe we're going back to the start a little bit, but now we want to take the lessons learned over the last decade or two and say, all right, how can we make this even more fun for the players? Not everyone's going to want to be a god. Not everyone's going to want to be the equivalent of a dungeon master. That's just not how... Um, numbers work in players, but we do want to give the people who want to create the ability to do so. The people who want to explore, we want to let them do so. The people who want to achieve, absolutely. And the people who want to kill, just like the Bartle system, we want to hit all of the goalposts. <laughs> yeah, one of the key challenges in marketing and, and getting our, our message out there is explaining to people why you, as a regular player who have no interest in running a server, why the fact that player-run servers are out there will make your life better. And it really comes down to the fact that there will be no end to the content for you to explore. Um, you know, it's very common in, in these kind of online games where it's like, okay, I've, I've done everything, now I wait for the expansion, right? And in our game, we will have expansions and we will provide more additional content, official content. 
you won't have to wait, right? Because there will be tons and tons of player-run events, campaigns, <laughs> new maps, all kinds of things. Like, you will never run out of new stuff to do in our game just because we're yeah. not the only ones creating the content. We're putting it out there, and, you know, it's not just average Joe that wants to play around with the editor uh, that's making these worlds. We have, you know, we've talked to so many people who are interested in creating their own stories and their own content. These people are serious. They already have communities behind them. They have experience. They've run Neverwinter Night servers. They know what they're doing. Um, and so these guys are going to bring some really, really amazing content to the table that, um, you know, while, you know, it's stuff that we couldn't even imagine. And that's the, the most exciting thing. Like, we're really excited about the story. And Tim's got, we're going to release a Q&A with some real good uh, meaty story <laughs> stuff that Tim did. It's awesome. Uh, and we're excited about that stuff, but we're even more excited about what we're what the players are going to do with what we provided them. What exactly? This, this exactly. world that we're giving them. What are they going to do with it? Yep. Nice. Um, and actually, that pretty much led into the because uh, uh, I know you got to run here in a couple, um, yeah. but that actually pretty <laughs> much answers the last question I was going to ask, which is you know, yeah, how in a world where UO still exists. Um, how is Shards going to, you know, find its niche? How is it going to, you know, appeal to, to that player base and, and draw them in? But you, you definitely spoke to that just there. Um, exactly. We're, we're not we're not trying to compete with UO itself. We love UO and we want it to continue. I want to continue playing UO, but I want a new game that I can play and then change. I want something that, you know, that that experience I had as a game designer. I want to be able to share that with other people. So when Derek and I got together on this thing, we realized we can take all of the good things and we can, you know, put away the, the hard lessons and the bad things and we can create something new and fun and exciting. That's what Shards Online is. Yeah. And Shards Online really is only the beginning. This is the first product for Citadel Studios. And it's not like when Shards Online is done, we're going to go and make, you know, a Candy Crush ripoff. Like our next product <laughs> after Shards Online will be Shards Online. Like uh, it will be like the next the next iteration of it, right? We will continue exactly. to expand on this like very deep, living, breathing world where it's not just us creating the content in the worlds. Everybody who's a part of the Citadel Studios experience and the games we make will be a part of the story and the creation of the game. Yes, exactly. Well, awesome. Well, um, I guess then that is a really great point to to end on. So. I know you need to run, so... Yeah, it's been a thanks. pleasure talking with you. I hope everyone out there uh, uh, learned some good stuff about Shards Online. Yeah, and i got to say it. i got to say it. Uh, we are running an active Kickstarter campaign. Uh, while we are funded, we hit our primary goal. There are a lot more goals to hit, and uh, there are some really good ones up there. Once we hit our 100K goal, we will put up even more stretch goals, and there's some really awesome ones past 100K uh, that we can't wait to show you guys. And so, um, you know, every single pledge matters. Even if you can only pledge $20 or a dollar, every single pledge counts. Um, it's the, yep. the show of support is what really empowers us and, and makes us able to be successful. That's right. I hope you're all with us. <laughs> and thank you very much to everyone who has pledged. Story editor, 90K. <laughs> 90K, here we go. All right, uh, just give me a second, guys. Okay. <laughs> If you want to join the Ultima Dragons, you can do so at udic.org, where at you can choose your very own dragon name. You can also find the Ultima Dragons on Facebook. We have a Facebook group there. And you can follow at Ultima Dragons on Twitter or join them on Discord. 
And if you're feeling really old school, you can even fire up a Telnet client and check out the Wearmount. Hit up the show notes for links to all of these. If you want to participate more directly in the podcast, you can send us an email. Or if you're feeling a little bit braver, leave us a voice message in one of three places, the podcast website, our Facebook page, or on anchor.fm. And you're also welcome to join us on our Discord server to chat with us, to lurk, or even contribute to podcast recordings when they happen. And again, links in the show notes. If you'd like to support Spam 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 Humbug, you can do so at patreon.com slash ultimacodex, where for as little as a dollar a month, you can get access to episodes the day before they go live to the general public. You'll also get access to behind-the-scenes audio when we have some to share, and possibly other interesting content. But we also welcome your moral support. You can like the Ultima series on Facebook, follow at Ultima Codex on Twitter, or leave the podcast a review on iTunes. And you're also welcome to share our episodes with your friends and social media circles. Spam 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 Humbug is a production of the Ultima Codex. You can find show notes online at spamspamspamhumbug.com. Thank you for listening, and until next time, be virtuous. Virtuous.